Evening, church. Our Bible reading is Revelation 7, 9 to 17, as well as Revelation 13, 1 to 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great magnitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lord, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Turn with me to Revelation 13, verses 1 to 10. And I saw a great beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haunty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemous, blasphemes against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, who, he, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And the authority was given, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwelled on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not, has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is the word of God. Um, so if you are joining us for the very first time, we have been, I just saw a red um, outside, uh, we are um, almost in, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about Alex, ne? Um, so we have been walking our way through uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, and we've been looking at, a, uh, at it from a thematic uh, uh, kind of approach, so picking up a few themes that come up from uh, the book of Revelation. We've titled it, uh, Going Through um, the most, um, because we said, if you remember in our first week, that we live in a big 
messy and complicated world, and we need a vision of a big uh, God to help us make sense of that messy world. And that's what the book of Revelation does, um, as John writes it to the churches back then, uh, and that is what it does as we uh, try to understand what it meant for them uh, and then apply it to our own, um, our own lives. Um, it was um, to help Christians uh, to make sense of the pressures uh, they were facing for living uh, um, as Christians uh, in that world. We saw that the key message of it, uh, that this book here, is to, to bring encouragement uh, to the believers of all ages that God is working out his purposes, even in the midst of tragedy, uh, suffering, and apparent satanic domination. Uh, so it was to tell the believers uh, that God is powerful, God is uh, in control. And that's what we saw the first week, uh, this picture of a throne um, that uh, John lifts the saints um, to look at, uh, this picture of God seated on the throne. And he reminds them that no matter what life uh, may bring your way, no matter what may happen in your life, uh, although it may look like God is not in control, the actual reality um, is that this God is enthroned, that he's in control, and has planned everything out uh, for your good, if you are a believer. Uh, so that was the first week. The second week, we saw that this God who sits on the throne is both um, the conquering lion of Judah um, and also uh, the conquered lamb. So it's a picture of power um, and conquering, but it is also a picture of a God who's tasted pain and suffering and who helps us make sense of our world of pain and suffering. That's what we saw uh, week two. And then we saw uh, Reggie bringing us the message of the Spirit to the churches. Uh, and the Spirit of God is calling the churches, living in that um, place and time around AD 60, um, to consider uh, where they are, uh, to not give up on the Christian faith, um, to repent from their slumber, uh, and to uh, stick it out uh, to, to the end. We saw that they were facing pressures from the outside, uh, that is uh, persecution and tribulation, and also pressures from the inside, uh, sin in their own lives. Uh, and those pressures were pushing them uh, to not stick it out till the end. And so the Spirit uh, encouraged the churches uh, in chapters 2 uh, to 3 uh, to stick it out till the end because uh, God is with them. Uh, the fourth week, which is last week, uh, we saw the call that Christians should live a life that is dedicated to God. And we saw, I love Reggie's preaching, by the way, um, that he comforts the wounded and he wounds uh, the comforted. Uh, that is what we saw uh, last week, uh, the paradoxes, as he says with his fancy English. <laughs> um, this week we're continuing uh, that, um, our theme, and we're looking at the theme of, of worship. And we're going to unpack what uh, worship meant for those uh, for those Christians, uh, and what it means for us living our lives uh, in Jobek uh, 2020. So let me pray for us. I'm not going to pray for angels from Africa to come help me. <laughs> I'm going to pray for God's help uh, because those angels don't come through. Um, let's uh, bow our heads and pray. He who has an ear, let him hear. Father, thank you so much for the message of uh, Jesus, uh, the enthroned king, uh, that this evening, 2020, in Midrand, a uh, uh, place far away uh, from, uh, from uh, the Middle East, that this uh, Jesus will be proclaimed as king and as lord over the world. Um, someone coming in here uh, who may not know you, 
uh, who may not know where they stand with you, I pray that this word of Jesus, um, his kinship would just um, shake them wherever they are, that it would bring a radical transformation to their lives, uh, that they would come to the end of themselves and worship and bow down to Jesus uh, as king. I pray for the Christians uh, that we also uh, would be revived in our love for Jesus, um, that we would see how majestic he is, uh, and that, Lord, uh, we would be drawn uh, to live our lives for him. So as I speak, as Reggie prayed, I pray that you uh, would give me clarity, uh, that I would speak your word, not my own thoughts, uh, and that it would come with conviction uh, from your spirit. So this we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. Uh, so the year was 2002. Uh, it was in a church called Apostolic Faith Mission Tabani, uh, Tabani, for those who don't know, uh, is one of the greatest townships uh, uh, in this world. Amen, Bazalwani. I, I may not remember that sermon uh, that very morning, uh, but I remember the pastor presenting the gospel message um, and saying to everyone uh, that if you want to receive Jesus in your heart, please come to the front. Uh, and long story short, that, that is how my, uh, my story began as a follower of Jesus. Um, I remember that very same week, uh, the, the church was so um, um, meticulous in contacting people who had given their lives to Jesus. I received a letter uh, from the pastor uh, just encouraging me in this new decision that I had made to follow Jesus. I, I felt special um, at that moment. Uh, and he would uh, then encourage us uh, who had become Christians uh, that this would become a, a journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus, and that the church is there to um, assist me uh, in that. Uh, so that was 2002, um, 18 years um, ago. Uh, and in those 18 years, I must say it has been an incredible journey of knowing Jesus and learning Jesus. But one of the things that I've come to know of Jesus as I grew uh, and as I read more of his word is that Christianity and following Jesus uh, is not a one-way ticket to heaven. Uh, so it's not about you uh, receiving Jesus in your heart and then folding your arms uh, and awaiting one day where will you will be taken up um, to, uh, to heaven. So it is more than that. Uh, and that's what we see uh, in the book of Revelation. In fact, as you read the Christian story, you would know and you'll see that the Christian story is about a God uh, who, through Jesus, has come to transform our world. Uh, he's come to bring order where there, there is chaos. He's come to bring healing where there is pain. And he's come to bring people back from being their own kings, uh, worshiping uh, and doing life their own way. And he's come to reconcile them uh, to their maker. And as you read the Bible, you see that that is the greatest decision you'll ever make. That is the best life that you'll ever live with God in charge of your life, calling the shots uh, and demanding your very life. In fact, in the last sermon um, in week eight, in a couple of weeks' time, we will see in Revelation 21 that the picture that we, we see uh, is not that of people going up to heaven necessarily, uh, but you'll see that, that we are given this picture of heaven coming down physically on earth, God making his dwelling 
among his people and renewing this creation as you and I know it. So God is very interested in our creation. God is interested in this physical world. The resurrection of Jesus uh, shows us that. Uh, It shows us that he bodily, physically rose um, again. And he promises that those who believe in him will see the same fate, will taste uh, what it looks like to be renewed and to receive a life uh, that is under God and that knows no end, um, a life of joy. And that life begins in the here and now. Amen. Uh, And the Bible says that that is the story. Uh, And so if that is the story of uh, creation, if that's the story of how God has planned out his world, then you and I as Christians, uh, if you are a Christian this evening, let's not assume that everyone is. If you are a follower of Jesus, you ought to be, we ought to be living our lives in light of that, uh, in light of the world uh, to come. We ought to be um, living with that vision of what God is going to do in the end. That is how we make sense of our lives um, in the here and now. And just as we're doing that, just as we are trying to live for God and his future reality, what he has planned for us, there is also another reality at play um, in our lives um, as we live uh, as Christians. Uh, So whether you live uh, or come from Rustenberg or Joburg or Musenberg, I happen to live in those bags, those three bags. Whether you come from uh, those three areas, wherever you may find yourself, uh, even some people from uh, East and Cape, With us, wherever you find yourself, there is always this pull um, away from that vision. Uh, There is always um, a picture that is presented. So God is presenting this awesome picture of uh, a renewed heaven and earth, but there's always um, our culture uh, presenting to us another uh, attractive picture uh, of living a comfortable life, of living a life of pleasure and fitting in into the world as we know it uh, in 2020, Jobek, Midrand, wherever you may find uh, yourself. Um, So the pressure for a Christian is to not live according to uh, Revelation 21 and that vision of a renewed world, but it is to live with this pool of culture uh, to fit in with the systems and the norms of our society. And what we're going to pick up from our text this evening is that of all the options that Jobic life may offer you, um, Jesus' uh, Jesus's way of life is worth investing everything on. Uh, so the way of Jesus uh, is bigger than that of our culture. Jesus is by far the only one worthy uh, for us to bank our everything uh, on. If your life was 10 million rand, he wants to, you to bank every single cent of it um, on him. Uh, And he promises that that would be a worthwhile investment uh, rather than uh, placing your investment and and, and running after what the culture would have you run after. Uh, So that's our main point of all the options that Jobek life may present to you. Jesus' life is better. Uh, So we're going to look, if you have your uh, outlines, but again, Reggie puts a lot of pressure on me. He puts outlines. Now I must follow outlines. Uh, um, He makes me... I want to become better. So we have an outline there. Uh, and if you can follow the structure, of number one, we have uh, the two options to pursue that we're going to see from our text. Uh, so two options and then two consequences to consider 
Uh, and then lastly, the choice to make, and it's a very predictable uh, kind of structure. It's like those Sunday school messages, Jesus is the answer. He is, but I, I want us to work together and figure out why is Jesus um, worth investing in, right? So you get the message. Um, there's nothing complicated. The two options, um, the two uh, cons- consequences to consider the choice to make, predictable. But we want to be asking ourselves, why is it important? Uh, why, or rather, why is, it, why is Jesus worth us banking everything on? Um, if we were to follow Jesus, um, how would he transform our lives uh, to look like the life that he promises us in chapter 21? So let's first have a look at um, the choices life uh, presents um, to us. Um, so one of the things that you'd pick up from Daniel chapter 7, uh, from Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13, uh, is this picture of the great multitude from every nation, uh, tribe, and language group worshipping. On the one hand, you have people worshipping the Lamb, uh, which is uh, the picture of the one on the throne. On the other hand, you have a picture of people worshipping the beast. And we can spend hours unpacking that, uh, but we're just going to have a glance at what uh, these two pictures are as Revelation uh, puts um, uh, to us. And the choice that uh, the reader is faced with as you read, as you are presented with those two options, is which one is worthy? Uh, which one is worth uh, your, the investment um, of your life? So let's have a look at those um, two options um, of worship. On the one hand, the worship of the Lamb. On the other hand, the worship of the beast. If you still have your Bible, shout amen. Hallelujah. I'm just doing that in case you're sleeping. Um, verse 9 of chapter 7, uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, notice this picture that we see in chapter 7, verse 9. After this, uh, I looked. After what? Well, uh, John has just explained uh, to, to these Christians. He's just shown them the picture um, of 144,000. Um, that is a complete picture of his people from every tribe of the nation of Israel. Have a look at verse 4. And I heard, he hears the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And he goes uh, to list this uh, beautiful uh, picture of the um, completion. Uh, So in other words, uh, this is a picture of people that God is using for his project to change the world. Uh, In the Old Testament, those were the Israelites, uh, the 12 tribes uh, uh, of of Israel. Um, But again, we are, after this, he, um, verse 4, he hears, uh, verse 9, he looks, and he sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches uh, in their hands. Uh, we see this uh, picture of, uh, of uh, people from all walks of life. And I don't know what it is about this image, but it reminds me so much. Can someone please help me with water? Um, it reminds me so much of uh, the picture of uh, 2010 World Cup. Some of you were 10 years old uh, back then, but... Uh, 
think with me, you can go on YouTube and go see the videos of 2010. Uh, But I still remember flying in from Cape Town into O.R. Tambo uh, Airport. Uh, And at that time, as in uh, all of uh, um, the other times, our nation was going through a whole lot of things. It was going through the most, uh, whether it's racial tensions, poverty, gender-based violence, whatever the case may be. But I still remember that very moment, 2010, uh, it felt like uh, everything was going to be okay. Uh, We were, uh, I've never seen uh, our people more united. Thank you, Uh, CIC. More united than they were at, um, at that point. I mustn't disrespect my elders. I apologize for that. Um, but this was a picture of unity. I still remember the yellow, uh, is it yellow or gold, um, jerseys of Bafana Bafana, white people, black people, Indians, uh, colors, everybody uh, just um, united uh, in uh, the desire to see a nation uh, getting out of its, um, its, um, its challenges. I still remember... Chabalala scoring that goal. How many of you remember that? Yes, it felt like we were going to win the World Cup. It was that feeling of victory that this man is going to be our hero, is going to be our leader. The commentator, Shabalala, Bafana Bafana is winning. Uh, it was a beautiful and glorious picture. And we could feel the ripple effect of this, um, this chanting, this uh, joy, this victory from uh, Soccer City all the way in O.R. Tambo, people waving their flags, uh, and it felt like such a powerful moment. But what we see here in Revelation, it's an even more powerful imagery of people from all walks of life, united by something bigger than a World Cup, united around the Lamb, um, a God who would come to sacrifice his life for you and for me. Uh, what a beautiful picture um, that you see, an even more powerful uh, hero of people waving uh, not uh, South African f- uh, flags, but palm branches. And that's a picture of uh, celebration. Uh, that is a picture um, of joy and triumph uh, and celebration that Jewish people did. And they were not wearing yellow shirts, but they were wearing white robes. And that was a picture of, um, they say, it's, uh, commentators say it's both a picture of purity, that they had washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. They had no more sin, but it was also a picture in the uh, Roman world of victory uh, of someone wearing um, a white robe. So we see this uh, powerful picture of people from every nation uh, wearing white robes. Um, In the Christian story, uh, we see that God started his change project uh, with the tribes of Israel, and he continues to spread it to the nations Uh, to Zulu people, uh, to Afrikaans people, and Tonga people, to every uh, person from every uh, walk of life, to French people, to Nigerians, um, to, I don't know, Malaysians, anybody that you can think of is part of this uh, change product. Even the great people from the glorious uh, kingdom of Bafuking, uh, and the great people from the kingdom of the Ashanti in Ghana, all people gathered around and united by this one thing, uh, this one person rather, which is the lamb who was slain for you and for me. Amen. What a beautiful picture that is, uh, that God would unite 
uh, everyone. What a beautiful picture of the church right here in South Africa. But that's another sermon uh, for another day. Uh, So John sees um, or hears in verse 4 the tribes, uh, those who form part of the first project of God changing our world. And then he sees a great multitude of God's plan worked out, not just in Israel, but in all of uh, his creation, in all people. Verse 10, have a look at it. Um, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Um, So this is a picture of not just the people, but the heavenly host uh, falling before God and worshipping him. This is a picture of a hot worship session in heaven. Verse 12, saying, listen to their words, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Remember the question that we ought to ask ourselves. You are a Christian. You are living uh, in uh, the early church. Why might you need to hear this? Uh, Is it something nice for you to hear uh, just so that you can, um, I don't know, get this warm and fuzzy feeling that uh, blessing and honor and thanksgiving power might be to our God? What What did it mean for them? And why was it important for them to hear Uh, this kind of um, uh, praise uh, of our God. Our commentators say that this language that we see in verse 12, uh, it's not just religious language, uh, but it is political language. Uh, Let me explain what I mean by that. In that time, it was very common to worship the the guy who was in charge, the guy who was um, um, the Caesar there or the emperor. It was very common to see emperors using this kind of language to refer to themselves, um, that they had all the power, all the glory, all the wisdom. Um, It was very common to see people exalting themselves um, to be kings of the world. In fact, as you read Psalm 2, you see that the rulers of the world gang up and gather up against the Lord's anointed one, against the Lord's king. Uh, So this picture that we see is not just a picture of us using it like Benjamin Dube. I mean, he sings great songs. But often when we think about worship in our day and age, we're thinking lights out, um, music on stage, uh, smoke coming out, warm, fuzzy feeling. We're lifting up our hands and we're saying uh, glory belongs to our God. And, and there's this, we moved emotionally. I'm moved when I, whenever I listen to music. But it is more powerful than that. This was political language to say that uh, the God of Israel is king and his Lord and not the emperor. Um, In fact, as you read through history, I was trying to think of an example of uh, a person uh, exalting themselves. um, And I thought of these titles of the great Idi Idi Amin. Uh, He was a one of the dictators, one of the presidents of Uganda. And listen to his titles. Uh, So this is the great um, Idi Amin, His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji, Dr. Idi Amin Dada, VC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and the fishes of the seas 
and conquerors of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, this is, talking of paradoxes, this is very funny and not funny at the same time. It is funny because you read it and you think, what a clown. Um, how do you, I mean, imagine him being introduced and you have to read all of this. Uh, what a clown, uh, you may think. But if you think about the kind of man Idi Amin is, it will not be funny. So it's funny, but it's not funny. It's a paradox. Um, it's not funny at the same time because this man killed over half a million people. This man was a dictator, and his regime was filled with instilling fear in those who would stand up uh, and, and, and speak against his government. Uh, people disappeared in Uganda uh, because of this, uh, this man. His authority and, and the fact that he calls himself Lord of all, um, basically of all the universe, had implications for how he, um, he um, behaved and how he treated his subjects. Um, I don't know if this is a true uh, thing, but if you watch The Last King of Scotland, I think it was probably uh, disputed by Idi Amin's son. But you see a picture of him um, mutilating somebody, um, cutting off their arms and feet, and then stitching them back. So stitching the arms back where uh, the feet were and the feet where the arms were. It was gruesome. And his, his um, rule was basically characterized by this. This is the man who was feared by all. So when he proclaims himself Lord of all, if you were living in Uganda at that moment, you would know the fear uh, of what he meant. Um, now, the Romans were even more gruesome than that. Uh, the Romans were even more powerful than that. In fact, everyone, they claimed deity, the, the rulers, and anyone who would stand up against them, anyone who was uh, wanting to overthrow the Romans, would be crucified on a cross. The cross was a public spectacle that you dare mess with the emperor and this would, uh, this would be your fate. Um, so imagine being a Christian living in Rome at that time. Imagine worshipping a guy who hung on a cross. Um, imagine the powerlessness um, that you would think. Imagine how pathetic that would look, that you worship a king on a cross. Uh, surely that is not a king at all. Uh, surely that is a defeated king. And that's the picture we see of this defeated lamb. It was a sign of weakness uh, and utter victory of the Roman uh, government. This man called Jesus was killed um, by them. Imagine being a Christian and being slapped in the face by this government for being a Christian. Imagine the life of your very children was threatened by this government. Um, how would you be feeling? Um, would you, in your mind, think that God is majestic, is seated on the throne, or would you think that the systems of this world, uh, the emperor is king and is lord? I, I think for any of us, we would be tempted to think um, the latter. Uh, we would be tempted to compromise and just get on with life uh, and uh, not disturb uh, whatever is happening. Just bow down. Um, how hard can it be? Uh, just do this one thing. You'll repent later. Jesus will forgive you anyway. Um, the temptation to live um, against what God is calling these Christians to live by was real. Uh, and the Roman 
government uh, proved um, um, this day in and day out. Have a look at your outline uh, and read with me, or not aloud. But let's read together this quote from one of the um, commentaries. Uh, because it explains to us uh, the situation uh, better and what was happening uh, to these Christians. For the Christians at the time of John, uh, at the time John wrote Revelation, worshipping or not worshipping the Roman powers was quickly becoming the dividing line between people who were acceptable in the community and people who weren't. Uh, not long after this, some local officials introduced a formal requirement that unless you had offered the required sacrifices, you weren't allowed in the market. Uh, from quite early on, Christians were faced with a stark alternative. Stay true to the lamb and risk losing your livelihood, the ability to sell or buy, uh, to give in to the monster, uh, capitulate. I don't know what that word means. It means to give in. Um, sacrifice to Caesar at the command of the local officials, and then everything will be all right, except your integrity as one of the Lamb's followers. Uh, so you see the stark difference. Uh, for you to worship um, Christ, it meant you had to live a particular way, but you were presented with another alternative. Just worship the emperor. Just bow down, and you will, all will go well with you. It was the temptation to give in and to compromise uh, the Christian faith, and Jesus as king, uh, just so that life could just be a little bit better. And I think that's the temptation that you and I also face living in our world. We're going to uh, come to that later on. But let's have a look at um, the other side of the coin. So this is the call to worship the land, the lamb. Uh, look at the, the other option that we presented with uh, in uh, Revelation 13, verses 1 um, to 10. Um, I don't think we have time to read through the whole passage, and it was uh, read for us by um, Jason, uh, so I'll just uh, pick it up from verse 3. One of its heads, talking about the beast, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound, wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So you have this picture of this beast um, that was dead, um, but now it's, it's, it's almost... Um, imitating the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's almost uh, putting itself as a counter um, alternative uh, to Jesus. So it had a mortal wound that simply means um, it was dead, uh, and then it came back to life. And the whole earth marveled as they followed uh, the beast. And verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, for he, had, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? who can fight against it. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Authority was given it to over every tribe. Uh, notice that language again, tribe and people uh, and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship uh, it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Uh, so you have this picture of two uh, people groups, one worshiping um, God 
the lamb who has slain the one worshipping uh, the beast. Now, again, we don't have time to unpack what the beast uh, means. But if you were to read um, Daniel, this is your homework. Or it's on the thing there. If you can just fold that paper after the service and remember to do that, uh, that homework. Have a uh, look at Daniel chapter 7 and see the imagery that Daniel uses uh, in ancient Babylon uh, under an oppressive king. Um, look at what he, how he portrays the saints, the people of God living in that world. Uh, how this beast is spoken of. Look at what, who the beast is uh, in Daniel. Um, and just to give you a clue, um, it is talking about uh, the structures of Babylon, the Babylonian empires. Uh, you'll see as you read through Daniel that the beast um, is, uh, represents the rulers um, of the world um, that are set up against God and his kinship and his lordship. Uh, so that there's this... Um, a beast that has no power, uh, but it's trying to shake his fist in the, um, in the face of God, and it wants power. And how does it gain that power? Well, uh, in Daniel, it was the oppression of the Israelites. In Revelation, it was the systems of the world set up against God, oppressing Christians. Um, uh, that quote there says that Daniel's prophecy of four kingdoms recast the empire's political power and military muscle as ugly, ruthless, violent, and fearsome. Um, The other quote says, the pressure for Christians to conform to ungodly political and economic systems linked with idolatrous practices or attitude is the most consistent form of tribulation. So as you read through Revelation, yes, there was physical um, oppression of the saints, but, um, and we see it on the rise, right? Um, so um, years later after John writes this, um, uh, one of the emperors made it legal uh, to oppress Christians physically. Um, they were being killed for being Christians. But there was also another sign to it. There was also another tribulation. And it was the pressure for Christians to conform to the idolatrous uh, uh, world and culture they lived in. We're going to see that as we look at chapter 17, as we look at Babylon, um, the great prostitute, um, that picture. Um, so to worship the beast means simply, if you are not paying attention, it means uh, to just flow with the culture and its systems and its ways of doing things. Uh, is to disregard the message of Jesus and his commands and what he calls us to do and to compromise that so that life can go well with you. How many of us in the work world, uh, in our relationships, wherever we may find ourselves, uh, wrestle with this tension? Uh, that on the one hand, I know what Jesus has called me to do. I know what kind of um, Christian or what kind of person I'm meant to be uh, at work. I know what kind of Christian I'm meant to be in my marriage, but I find it hard. I find myself wanting the other alternative to go with the grain of society to bow down and worship to the, the idols of our society. That was a real temptation uh, for these um, Christians. And so that's why John gives them this picture. That is why he gives them a picture of the heavens worshiping and bowing down to the true reality that the God of Israel is king. Um, he shows them that picture. Uh, so that they would be uh, encouraged in their lives 
um, to live that reality. Um, the one commentator says that we need the heartbeat of heaven to empower our earthly worship and direct it to the only deserving object, our triune God, the only one who is worthy of our worship, of our loyalty, the only one who we should invest our life in is the triune God, um, a God who looks weak in the eyes of our world, um, but nonetheless a God who uses his power uh, for the sake of others, who uses his power so that you and I um, can be brought in and reconciled um, to our God. But we're transitioning now. So that was the first point. What was the first point? Are you guys still with me? The two options that we have uh, and the two consequences that to consider. That, is, that was the longest uh, um, point. I would um, we'll, um, just run through the uh, other points. Uh, the two consequences to consider, and I think we'll deal more with this as we look at uh, the wrath of the Lamb. Because um, there's a lot of talk of wrath in the Bible, in Revelation. Um, I'm glad Reggie is dealing with that. Um, but there are consequences to whatever choice that you make. So the two, two choices that you make have consequences. Have a look at verse 13 um, of Revelation 7. This is a picture of what happens to those who bow down to the lamp, those who invest everything and chip everything uh, into, uh, into the lamp. Then one of the elders asked me, this in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, say, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Uh, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, look at this picture of those who have conquered, those who uh, stuck it out, those who uh, continued uh, in submitting themselves to Jesus. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. This is a picture of those who have conquered. Never again will they thirst. This is the perfected kingdom of God, with God being in charge. The sun will not beat them down, nor any scorching heat, uh, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Again, what an irony that the lamb becomes a shepherd. Um, he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, if you read through carefully uh, this idea of living water, this idea of temple, this idea of God being um, present with his people, it is the picture that uh, the whole of the Bible is longing for uh, that we see in Genesis 1 of God among his people living um, as they should live um, uh, and worshiping him as they should worship him. As a Christian, again, living in that time. What are you meant to think of as you read these words? Uh, you are meant to be encouraged that, man, things may look bad now, uh, but God is going to renew our world. That in the end, it will be okay. Now, that's not a cheap theology, as we, say, as we saw in week one. That's not a cheap um, theology of saying, well, there's always a silver lining. Um, what is the saying? Uh, my data bundles are running out. Uh, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, that kind of language that we use to comfort ourselves. It is more powerful than that. The resurrection of Jesus 
promises us that this thing will be true. Um, How do we know that God will fulfill his promises? Um, I remember back home um, in the village, what happens when someone dies is that the village guys gather up and they dig a grave. Okay, so we dig in this grave one time, and this guy said jokingly, man, I think we are being duped um, because they've been saying the trumpet will uh, sound and the dead will be raised. When is this happening? We've been digging graves uh, this whole time. When is this ever going to happen? Um, and I think it was um, like a passing statement, but it had in it, I think, um, a very good objection. How do you know as a Christian that things will be okay? Well, we don't hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel. We know that Jesus is alive. He's physically, bodily resurrected. He gives us a picture of where we're going to be if we choose to bow down before him. So our hope as Christians is sure. Amen. Let me drink this water. It is not living water. But this is going to happen. This is the picture that as a Christian living in that world, uh, you ought to look at this and say, wow, man, things are bad. And I'm not going to downplay how bad they are. Uh, But I know that in the end, God will be with me. I wonder if you were to take that into your week, uh, whatever may be happening in your life, as a Christian, uh, that one day this will be my reality. Uh, How will that make, help you make sense of the big and messy and complicated world um, that you live in. Now, we're running out of time. Um, we are going to look at um, those, um, the comparison. So if you see in your notes there, uh, there's a bunch of um, scriptures. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 14. The first one uh, gives us a picture of those who worship the lamp and the consequences. And the second one, Uh, gives us a picture of those who worship the beast and the consequences. I think I'm just going to pick up chapter 19, verse 20, of those who worship the beast and what what is the end for them? What what does it look like uh, for them uh, in the end? What are the consequences for worshiping the beast? Uh, Chapter 19, verse 20, and the beast was captured, and with with it the false prophets who... In its, um, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. We see throughout um, Revelation this picture that things don't really work out well for those who worship the beast. Um, that for anybody who might be with us this evening who's not a follower of Jesus, Uh, to be reminded that you can't continually reject the the king. You can't continually reject God as king and expect things to go out well in the end. Um, Reggie is going to deal more uh, with it. Uh, That God is both a loving and gracious God who extends his hand um, for you to come into his kingdom, to live and worship the lamb, um, and to live a life that is modeled after the lamb, a a life of humility, um, a life that looks different from our culture. He extends his hand, but God is also a judging God. Um, God is a God who one day will bring everything to bear uh, and bring about justice finally 
uh, for every single one of us. Uh, so let's not make a mistake to think, man, things are going well for me. Um, things are going well for my life. Uh, 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 and, and, and that's always how it's going to be. Well, Revelation would remind us uh, that things don't end well for those who bow down um, to, the, um, to the, the beast. So just remember our message this evening of all the things, of all the things, uh, options that Dobek life may offer you, Jesus is by far the best option. And I think we just want to lend the play now. Somebody say amen because we are about to finish it off. Are you guys still alive? Amen. Great. Um, so as we end it off, um, I want us to remember this. This is not written for you. Oh, it's not written to you. It's written for you, right? Uh, so we're not living in Rome, which is called Babylon in chapter 17. Uh, Jobek is not necessarily Rome, um, but it, is, it resembles Rome. Uh, any system um, of the world that is godless, that is without God, um, is equivalent um, to Babylon, to Rome, because it's a civilization Babylon is the archetype of a civilization. Eish, I use a powerful word there, archetype. <laughs> of civilizations that set themselves up against God. Okay, so any society that sets itself up against God. Um, but we can't draw direct uh, parallels. Uh, President, uh, Mr., my fellow South Africans, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, is not the beast. Right? He's not the emperor of Rome. Um, so let's not make direct applications to our lives. Let's understand what the, what the message is saying. Um, it is cautioning us against going with our culture instead of following the way of Jesus. You with me? Uh, so there's a principles that you and I can apply. Uh, you may just this week want to look at your culture, whether you stay in Midland, Santin, wherever you are, and ask yourself this question, where does our culture clash with what God calls us to do? Where does our culture clash with um, the way of Jesus? Okay, um, somebody was speaking to me this week and he asked me a question that I had to think about. And I took a step at it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's completely um, well thought through. But he asked me, what are some of the things that undergird our society? What is the philosophy that a, an average South African, let's say an average South African living in Midrand, um, what, what is the thing that motivates their lives? Um, how are they, in some sense, going with the flow of the culture? What are the, some of the narratives, some of the stories that we tell ourselves uh, to make sense of our world? And I thought about it, and I'm like, this idea of lack and powerlessness is one, not the only thing, one of the things that undergirds some of the thinking, uh, and let me explain what I mean by this. Uh, many people in South Africa have experienced lack, um, whether it's material, uh, whether it's lack of authority and power, um, feeling like you're not really, you don't really matter in life, right? Um, so we live with that all of our lives, and our desire is to get away from that as far as we can. If you grow up in poverty, one of the things that you want is go to varsity 
Work as hard as you can so that you can escape that cycle. Work as hard as you can so that people will not look at you in the community and think that you are a second-class citizen. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Um, to, to man, make it. And I think that drives us so much that we even want to fake it, right? Uh, living in Midland, I want to look like I'm powerful. I want to look like I've made it. I want to drive a C-class uh, I don't even know cars, so I don't know what's the most uh, blingest car out there. I want to look like I've made it so much, even though I'm in debt. Uh, I, I bought my car on Restudio, Restid, hey, English. That money they tell you that you're going to pay at the end, which means you can't afford that car. Um, wh- why do we then go out and buy it? Well, because we want to look like we made it. Um, that, that, that whole joke about uh, the camp chairs in Midrand apartments is real. That guys are driving around with um, cars and have no furniture at home because out there you have to look like you're powerful. You have to look like you made it because where you come from, you've always felt powerless. It is the desire to just gain dignity uh, and to not look like you lack. It is what Forex traders appeal to when they say to you, by age 25, you need to have financial freedom. Come join this program, uh, and, uh, man, you will be a millionaire at 23. How many of us have heard that? Then we go out, we invest everything in that uh, pursuit. That is um, the life of powerlessness. We see it in the security. Um, This is a small thing, but somebody who grew up without power, when they're given power, to deny or um, give access to people, what do they do? They grab hold of it, right? Um, Um, The law does not allow here, which means if you want to gain access into a complex, if a security says that to you, um, then you know it's game over. Um, They're exercising power. And, I mean, it's, it's a small thing, but it is a picture of, uh, display of power, that we long for it so much that when we gain it, we use it um, to, to the max. We use it uh, to make sure that others are oppressed. And when you take that from a security to a bigger um, corporate space, what kind of society um, do we have when people worship the beast and the powers um, of this world? Well, we have uh, people want to dominate each other in the office space. Uh, willing to say and do anything uh, so that they can gain more and more power. Think of it when it's played out in the home of men who have experienced their whole life no power that they felt disenfranchised. Um, They are fathers at home, but at work they are treated like kids. What happens in the home? Um, one of the ladies from Cape Town who works with gender-based violence, she says that some of those things, some of the violence that we experience, some of that lack of power, are the contributing factors. Notice I don't say causes, um, contributing factors towards gender-based violence. Because if I cannot get it out there, I'm going to show it in the home. I'm going to show them who is powerful. That is the idolatry of power. Now, power is not a bad thing, the abuse of it uh, is. And we see that in Revelation, there's a big power play here. A God who's on the throne is a powerful imagery, 
but it is an imagery that is contrary to the culture that we live in because this God who is on the throne, he's not a God who is exercising power and oppresses people. He's a God who uses his power for the sake of others. And if you uh, claim to worship the Lamb, that should be the thing that marks your life. Amen. That should be how you view your home, your workplace, um, your access to resources, um, to never desire the better life so much that you trample on the poor. What do I mean by that? What does that look like? Well, our news is filled with it. I don't want to incriminate myself, so I'm not going to mention what I'm talking about. Um, he who has an ear, let him hear. Are you guys still with me? <laughs> um, we see it in corruption. When I say corruption, what comes to your mind? What kind of person comes to your mind? A, a black politician who drives a Viano, um, right? Corruption is infiltrates all of society. It is black, it is white, it's Indian, it's everywhere. I don't want to incriminate myself, but I was at some government office, and I think, I don't want to incriminate myself, I saw a transaction that was happening that was not um, in line with um, what should be happening. When we worship the beast and use our money, our power to purchase, to do stuff, to bribe, um, what happens? The poor get uh, lost in the system because the poor don't have the power to bribe, right? So I want my license. I'm going to just pay 2,000 rand. It's easy, it's simple. Who gets hurt? I'm tempted to do that. How many of us have been tempted to do that? I just cannot pass this license. And they're saying, our culture, that you can't pass this license unless you bribe somebody. So I'm just going to do it. Um, I want my business to prosper, and they say, for you to get that deal, you have to pay something. Well, I'm tempted to do that. Um, that is the worship, going with the flow um, of culture. It's not just a government thing. It's not just those rich um, politicians. It is everywhere. It is the accountant um, who bribes a, a a metro office um, to get out of a speeding ticket. When we do that, we corrupt the very moral fiber of society because we're setting up a system that is going to hurt others who don't have power. It looks simple. Just <laughs> pay something, just, just a little bit. But I see as I look at South Africa, I'm like, we becoming a people who just Go with the flow. Who are okay with bribery. That everywhere you go, it seems like for you to make it in, you have to pay something. Um, it is everywhere in our culture. And the, what it means to worship the lamb is the opposite of that. Um, and God has set up his church, you and I, if we Christians, to go out into the world and to be people who live in light of Revelation 21. If God is going to renew this world, then, man, it matters how the society functions. So I must live according to the way of the Lamb. I mustn't use my power, my privilege, my, my resources um, to corrupt society. Uh, in fact, I should be seeking the opposite. Um, and I think that we see glimpses of that. And Reggie mentioned this last week, that when a church like ours sets up a... A, a, a center, care and crisis center 
for gender-based violence, there is a picture of Revelation 21. There is a picture of the people of God living in our world and bringing about healing, transformation, um, and a difference in our world. That's what God has called us to do. We see it and a taste of it when young men and women, um, or rather young men, because normally we are the problem, when we submit to the Lamb and resolve to not pursue wealth, to not pursue the, what's the most famous and fancy car? And a GTI. For, did you say Aston Martin? Yeah, for Midrand. Midrand, um, it's more of a GTI, a Vrupa. Um, I'm going to pursue, we can choose. Man, I'm married, I just want to pursue power. I just want to get out of poverty and gain financial freedom. I'm going to sacrifice time with my kids so that I can work hard. And maybe when they're 20, we can have a free life. And maybe that time never really comes because uh, once they're 20, they hate Jesus and they're out of the house. Um, and they go out there to go and perpetuate the same thing, to pursue the idolatries of our world and to use their power um, to just gain more and to live for themselves. Um, the gospel breaks in as those young men say, we're going to be here. Uh, we're going to show our sons and our daughters are sons that, man, you don't have to um, abuse those who are um, less powerful than you. Um, as we show our daughters that don't date douchebags um, who are um, all about the GTI. What a transformed world you and I would live in uh, when more people would worship the lamb rather than the beast. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for... Your cross. Uh, thank you that in the cross you make a way for us to be reconciled to our maker. You have paved the way for us and a pattern of how life should be. Um, the temptation to live um, according to our world is so real. So I pray for someone who's in the corporate space, um, who's married, um, somebody who is uh, in a position of some kind at work, um, that they would uh, follow the way of the Lamb, uh, that they would use whatever means they have for the sake of others, that they would turn the world upside down and be people who are part of your kingdom and not uh, part of their own kingdom, uh, who seek the good of others and not their, their own. I pray that you transform us um, to see this heavenly worship and be drawn um, away from what our culture promises. That as we live in Jobek, we would see that your way is better uh, and it's better um, to build a society uh, for us uh, where your kingdom uh, and your will is done um, here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, you taught us to pray that. May that be the reality of our lives as we go into this week. Amen and amen.